praise you. That as we just read, we join the angel choirs and all who've gone before to express wonder at how amazingly holy you are. So today, would you give us a glimpse into the wonder of the one we call Jesus? Would you open our minds and our hearts to see a vision of you that is bigger and better and more beautiful and more sacrificial and more victorious than we can ever know? So we pray you release the goodness of your Spirit's presence among us even now as we have worshipped you, as we join together around your word. As we receive the sacraments and as we look to you, Lord, would you be lifted high and glorified. With all who have gone before, we do say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The heavens and the earth are full of your glory. Would you join me in praying the prayer the glorious one taught us? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screens. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Can I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 2? I wonder if I could have a little feedback from you. Could I, if you'd be willing to raise your hands, if I could just get a sense. How many people have viewed at least one of the two Bible Project videos? Could you raise your hand if you've watched them? Okay, awesome. Can I keep encouraging you? The series will not make any sense unless you keep watching these. And then I've got a little added thing for you. We've been given permission at all the entrances. This is the final image of the two videos combined. So if you go to the QR codes and you watch the videos, take one of these home. What's really important, in the left-hand corner of every screen is the chapter that the images are coming from. So if you watch it, if you read it, look for the page, the chapter numbers, and as you're doing this over 12 weeks, increasingly it will make sense. But you have to keep engaging this. So for example, what did you think about reading about the churches? Anybody, does anybody think that applies to us today? I mean, right? So remember, remember, remember the story now. You gotta get this. So this is seven local churches. This is not congregations like this. This is house churches. This is small groups of people living in homes, probably hiding from authorities. Why? Because the Roman soldiers caught you worshiping. They would kill you and your kids. I told you the story. Did I tell you how you divided the church up? Did I tell you the story last week? Which service? I can't remember. Did I tell you how they divided the church last week? So the Roman soldiers would have, they would send spies all through the land and they would try to find where the Christians met. So Christians would use symbols like ichthus, a little fish. They used sign of a shepherd's staff. They had little symbols they used to say, this is where Christians meet. Well, the Roman soldiers would look for that. If they found a house church, they would then invade it on a Sunday morning. And what they would do, let's just take their, their turlows and the corvers. 
they would say to the Trelaws and Corvers, soldiers in our gathering, next week Sunday we're going to come back and ask the, uh, Ryan, uh, Andrew Allison and Lane and Kevin this question. Will you renounce Jesus or we will kill your children in front of the church? So when they come back the next Sunday and Andrew Allison said, we will not renounce Jesus. So with the church watching, the Roman soldiers kill all three of their children. Corvus turns, will you renounce Jesus? And because we love our children, we say no. Next week, Sunday, following Sunday, we gather together how the Turlows feel about the Corvus, whose four sons are with them, and their three children are dead. And what the Romans did was they split the churches just by killing the kids, saying, what do you believe about Jesus? So the revelation is fundamentally about one question. Will we be faithful to Jesus or will we compromise? So that is what's being asked. Now remember now the story. This is coming seven letters on a, a postal route. Churches are 50 to 70 miles apart. They come to this secret gathering probably where this church is meeting and they read the letter. So every one of the churches heard every other church's letter. No one knew how to read these are poor people who, because they would not, remember the incense? You give incense to Caesar, no education if you don't, no schooling if you don't, no economy, nothing. They have nothing. But they know the Old Testament because they've heard it and they've memorized it. So when they hear each of these letters from the other churches, and they hear about all these different beasts and the one to come and the white stone and the white clothes and soil, they knew exactly what was being talked about. So they took these letters from their pastor who is stuck on an isle called Patmos in exile, who had to write secret letters to them to encourage them because the Roman censors would not let it get through. So if John would have written, hey, Jesus is more powerful than Domitian or Nero, don't have to worry at all about it, Jesus is gonna win, would those letters ever have left the island of Patmos? No. So they had to sneak them out, and what I read to you in chapters two and three, the people listening would say, oh yeah, that's right, that's true, that's good. Now the thing that's so interesting about this, and look at your Bibles, look at verse 20, chapter two, verse 23. And this is in the middle of the seven letters, chapter two, 23. Look at what Jesus says. Now remember, this is, this is the Jesus I read about in chapter one, 12 through 20. Can you look up, just real, real quick. It's this Jesus. It's the butt-kicking Jesus. It's the one when he comes back, we will all be terrified on our faces, terrified because he is so incredibly awesome. Chapter 1, 12 through 20. Look at verse 23, chapter 2, 23. It says, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds. There's the first part of it. And I'll repay each one of you according to your deeds. So I want you, this is what, it's, this is what it is like. Look up again. It is, they are, he is saying, St. John's got the vision that Jesus is literally walking into each church and he searches every single heart and mind. So we can say, we don't want Google to follow us, we don't want AI to track us, we don't want any. Folks, you've been tracked since before you were born. Jesus, before you were born, has been tracking you. So he says, I search every heart, so every person but not just every person, it's all the persons. 
So he is searching, he is looking to see, will we be faithful to Jesus or will we compromise? That's what he's looking for. How will we live? So he looks deeply into each of us, each of us individually and all of us corporately. So in the auditorium this morning, Clay's going to ask this question to that group. Let me just ask you the same question. Actually, it's two. If Jesus told us what he saw in your or mine heart, and what would he say? If Jesus revealed what he saw in each one of us, what would he say? Here's the second question. If Jesus came to this church today, what would he say about us? And where the church is not the institution, the church is people. So what would Jesus say about us? So what you have is seven letters to seven churches where Jesus, who searches hearts and minds, looks deeply in, and look at the second part of the verse, and I'll repay each one of you according to your deeds. And we often look at that as a negative. I'm going to show you just a moment. It's a positive. Jesus wants to repay us with good things. So let me give you a couple things. If you're going to, I don't have time to unpack all this. I was talking to some other teachers this week. There, there's so much... <laughs> Chapters two and three. How many, think, how many Old Testament references do you think we just read through? <laughs> how many? If I went verse by verse and I showed you every single Old Testament reference of every image in every verse, how long would it take to go through that? So remember, two, 404 verses, 278 have at least one up to three Old Testament allusions. Of the 404 verses, there are 518 allusions to Scripture and never once does St. John footnote it. What does it tell you about St. John? He has these words hidden in his heart. And what does it tell you about the people who listen? They heard the words and they understood. So the intent, slide number five please, Jim. The intent is Jesus wants to offer each person and each church a specific affirmation, specific correction, and specific motivation. Now, why do I say that? Well, look at some of the repeated words. So, how about these? If you read it all, you'll look, look for the repeated. Jesus says to every church, I know, no gnosko, that is to know at deep, deep levels, intimate levels of knowing. Jesus knows. I know each person, I know the church. Repeated, every church. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, it's really interesting if you read the Revelation. Oftentimes, you're going to find this. John is going to, St. John will see something in the vision, and then he hears, and when he turns, it's different than what he thought. So we'll see it soon. He hears the lion of the tribe of Judah, but what he sees is a bloody lamb. So if you read the text, hearing is critical. Why? Because they didn't know, they couldn't read. So they're listening, they're listening, they're listening. So that's one of the reasons we're reading every Sunday. I just want to read these words. Even though we don't understand it because we don't know the Old Testament, I want you to hear the words. There's something significant about the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking. Let me, let me go. One other, one other thing I want to put, point at and then I go a little farther. I, I want to, I just... I don't know how to communicate effectively this. I'm just stuck. So can I have a big umbrella of mercy this morning? <clears throat> yes, big, 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 big. So there, there is a reality that we cannot see 
that is real. And that's one of the things we're going to see in the Revelation. When we see the step up, chapter 4, and see there's a whole nother world and realm. So here's the umbrella of mercy, personal umbrella of mercy, personal story. I've told us before, one more time, one year after Kurt left us and went to heaven to be with Jesus, the next Easter Sunday, 8 o'clock service, Jim and Barb Broffard are sitting about where uh, Larry DeBryan is sitting there. I'm preaching from on the floor right here. I'm preaching, and Jim, who's sitting there with his whole family, and came back to see me several weeks later, said, when I was preaching, my six-foot-eight, 215-foot son standing right here. And Jim, sitting there, watched him the whole time and watched me preach. Now, what do you do with that? The point I'm trying to make is, there's a reality that we don't see. And the revelation is, there's a reality here. There is more here. There is big here. There is a kingdom here. There's a reign here. There's a rule here. There's a future here that we don't even imagine or know about. And what's so interesting about the revelation is the primary image of the one who offers all this is a lamb. Real quick again, pretend it's the Old Testament. Here's the altar. You bring your animal. I've got a great big knife. I slit the throat of the animal. The blood catches. We take the lamb. We burn it. I take the blood. I sprinkle it on you, on your family. Take the blood, throw it on the altar, and you are forgiven. Jesus takes that image, and that's the primary image of the book of Revelation. So they want, they want a son of man who's going to kick the butt of the Romans. Just get them. And the image is this. And how you overcome is you act like this. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue submit to him. And the new heaven and new earth will be filled with people from every background who have submitted to the one who laid down his life out of love. That's the revelation. So in slide five again, so what he's gonna to say to each church is, this is what I, doesn't say to all of them, if you just read it, some get, five get affirmations, two don't. Affirmations, there's correction, and there's motivation. So, I just repeated real quick, he says, I know, whoever has ears to hear, and at the end of every single letter for every church, he says, to the one who's victorious. What does it mean to be victorious? He's got to stay with me this whole series. To be victorious is to be willing to lay down your life for others. That's the image. The primary word that we're going to read about in the coming weeks is martyr, martyrious. And it, we think it means of someone who dies for Christ. And that's true, and it still happens today. But the word at, at core means witness. And to witness to Jesus is to lay down your life for those sent to your circle of influence. And the challenge we all have since Genesis 3 is we all want our own kingdom, and we want our own queendom. And we don't want to submit to the Lamb's kingdom. And the overcomers are the people who say, I'll be faithful to Jesus no matter what. I will not compromise to the culture. And so that's what John keeps poking at over and over and over.
And then finally, he uses the word repent. At the end of almost every letter, he talks about repent. Help me now. What does repent mean? Okay, fundamentally, it's to turn around, change directions, but it also means to think differently. So he says that every church, you have to think differently. He looks at every heart, every mind, every person, and he says, you have to think differently. So last service, uh, someone wanted to share with me some things, and, and very discouraged, and what I wanted to do was just gently say, well done for what you're doing to stay faithful, but you need a bigger perspective. This is the only perspective. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because this is, so forgive me if I'm, it doesn't come across very well. Um, Pastor for 43 years, and I have had the privilege of sitting with thousands and thousands of people in all kinds of situations many of which are filled with pain and suffering and loss. And what is interesting to me and has been my privilege to watch women and men and boys and girls who say, I'll remain faithful to Jesus no matter what. No matter what it costs me, I am so convinced, I am so convinced and when we hear nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. I am so convinced that I'll go through this and I'm going to do it with faith, as much faith as I have. I'm going to trust in Jesus and then come on on the other side. So, let me stop for a second. Can you, will you be willing to talk for two, a couple minutes? Yes? All right. How about this? Just imagine, use your, here, here's, my, here's my sermon in a sentence. A relationship with Jesus is individual, is personal, but is never individual. A relationship with Jesus is personal. It is never individual. So as we share life together, we are helping each other in our relationship with Christ. So I'm like, I got two questions to play off of. What did Jesus, could you share, if you're willing, what might Jesus might have seen in me this week? can be good or bad. Could you just share with someone what did Jesus see? And then if it's bad, not so good, could you share where you need to repent? Where do you need to change directions? How do you need to think differently? So question one, what did Jesus see in me this week? Question two, if things weren't so good, what do I need to repent of? think differently about, to change directions with. So on your marks, get set, three minutes, go. Okay, thank you so much. Have your Bibles ready. I'm gonna give you seven real quick slides, and th this is specifically what Jesus looks at. I'm this is my suggestion of what I see in each of these churches. So the first one is chapter two, four, and five. Jesus is testing their love. So chapter two, look at verses four and five. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you. The test Jesus has for us is the test of our love. So let me just give you a real specific example. We have a vote coming up about things that for many people are quite passionate on both sides of the equation. In the conversations with someone who you disagree with, will Jesus test your love? Agrippao, 
to will and do the good of another. If Jesus searches hearts and minds, will he test your love? The next one, next church. We have the church in Smyrna, verse 10, the test of our suffering, chapter two, verse 10. The text reads, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you the light, give you life as your victor's crown. When you experience suffering, what will your response be? Will Jesus be testing your faithfulness to him or your compromise from him as you suffer? The next one, please. We have Pergamum, the test of our truth, 2.14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to teach and entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. What is the test of our truth? So let's just take, bring it back to Jesus. <clears throat> Real simply, do we believe Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? What's the test of your truth? Is culture the one who teaches you what truth is? Or is Jesus teaching you truth? The next one, please. Thyatira, verses 18 and 20. Chapter 2, 18 and 20. The text reads, uh, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. That That comes from Daniel chapter 7. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did before. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sex morality and the eating of, of food sacrificed to idols. I can't go along with that. What happening in that church was people would go to pagan festivals where they would, where they would eat food sacrificed to idols, idols and then engaging with that with sexual acts, acts. So in that church, it was acceptable to worship on Sunday, to go to a party on Friday, to eat food donated, blessed to demons, idols, and to have sex. So Jesus asked that group, that church, how holy, how set apart, how differently are you living? The next one, please. We have Sardis, chapter three, verse one. To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits, the seven stars. I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Are you living as one who is dead or alive? Do you live as one who is dead or alive? A person who is alive brings the vibrancy of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ. A dead person focused only on himself or herself. The next one, chapter three, verse eight. The test of our witness, three, eight. The text reads, I know your deeds. See, I've placed a butt before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This week I talked to someone who quit her job because her job required her to do something that was illegal and unethical. She said, my witness to Jesus is so important to me, I quit. A very lucrative job, she quit. Jesus asked him, what's the test of your witness all week long? Now last one, Laodicea, chapter three, 15 and 16. 
The text reads, I know your deeds, neither hot nor cold. I wish you either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The question there is, what's our commitment to Jesus? How committed are we to Jesus and to his people? Remember now, my sentence for this morning is this. Our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not individual. So my commitment to Jesus includes a commitment to you. So that would be things like how I handle alcohol, finances, sexuality, uh, my tongue, my, my thought life. What, what is our, am I committed to Christ or am I living with compromise, whatever the world thinks? So let me now move to some action steps. Slide number 14. So can I just keep encouraging you, keep watching the Bible Project, get the big map. Next week, read chapters four and five, and if you choose, join a text group. I'd like to just take a few moments now and just lead us through a prayer of repentance. If there are things in your life that you know that Jesus sees and we need to just name and lift to the light, and we make a commitment to live differently, could you just join me in a time of prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you see and you know all. So now in these next moments, would you reveal to each one of us whose heart is open, what is something for which we need to repent? Some place where we need to turn. Something about which we need to think differently. Lord, for what do we need to repent? Specifically, if you have hurt, diminished, slandered another follower of Jesus, would you acknowledge that to the Lord? Would you pray, pray blessing over the person who's been hurt by you? Let's remind each other who we are praying with and to from chapter one. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Your eyes, Lord Jesus, are like blazing fire. Your feet are like bronze, blowing, glowing red hot in a furnace. And your voice was like Niagara Falls. In your right hand, you hold the planets, and coming out of your mouth are words of life. Lord, you are the great I am. You are the first and the last. You are the living one. You were dead, and now you are alive forever and ever. You hold the keys of death and hell and you offer life, abundant, beautiful, eternal life. So we bless you, Lord, for who you are. You are the great I am. Amen.